Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range. Or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double-breasted black blazer from a new-to-me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style-obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to About Progress. I'm Monica Packer, a regular mom and recovering perfectionist who uncovered the truest model to dramatic but lasting personal growth. It's progress made practical. Join us to leave the extremes behind and instead learn how to do something to grow in ways that stick. Did you know that women must do habits differently? It's true, and it's not just true to me, it's true based on decades of research. If you want to learn what this reason is so you can stop blaming yourself for your habit fails, go take my free class, The Number One Reason Why Women Must Do Habits Differently. You can sign up at aboutprogress.com slash habit class. I don't intend to often start episodes with confessions. But I've made this one before, and I feel like I need to start this episode by making the confession again that I stink at friendships. I was really surprised by this as an adult. Was anyone else this way? You know, I was that kid growing up that was friends with everyone. It really was a big part of how I navigated life, a big part of my personality, my value system was being a good friend and being a good friend to a lot of people. But somehow, 
gradually over time that slipped away through my adulthood. It just might be because I'm busier. I have a lot of responsibilities. I'm in the zone with those responsibilities. And to be really honest with myself, I can get very easily wrapped up in my own life and putting out my own fires. I just forget to look around, to reach out, to connect. Making and keeping friendships as an adult has just not felt so natural to me anymore. And I know I'm not alone in this. Recently, I think you've heard about me doing a hiking club where I just invite one friend, a new friend, because I live in a new neighborhood, to go on a hike with me once or twice a month. And it might not seem so monumental, but it has been for many reasons. But one of the primary ones being that it has reminded me of this basic need that I do have, even if I pretend I don't, that we all need friendships. As adults, we have a lot of obstacles to these friendships, right? And so that's why I am so thrilled today to be welcoming Dr. Marissa G. Franco to the show. She is the author of a New York Times bestseller called Platonic, and it's all about making and keeping friends as an adult. In addition to this, she's a psychologist. She's an international speaker. She's also a professor at the University of Maryland and writes for major publications across the U.S. all about connection. Today, Marissa will help us know why we actually do need friends as adults. This isn't just for kids and how we can work through the biggest obstacles we are facing to both making and keeping friendships alive. I've heard from a lot of women in this community who are struggling with loneliness. Just know we had you in mind when we recorded this interview. Dr. Marissa G. Franco, welcome to About Progress. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to dive into this topic, not only because it's needed, but what you have to share is research back, which are two of my favorite things. So I want to start by saying that it's pretty obvious. A lot of us are dealing with loneliness, but I think it feels surprising as adults to feel lonely. We didn't really know that was a part of adulthood. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know that loneliness would be something that I would grapple with as an adult. So let's start there by talking about this problem and why it matters that as adults, we have friends, we need friends. Why? Yeah. So when it comes to our mental and our physical health, our level of connection is just one of the most important determinants. Um, Research finds, for example, that diet, exercise, they both affect your health and longevity, but your social connection affects how long you live a lot more than your diet and how much you exercise. Yeah. So yeah, my colleagues are like, I could be a social couch potato then. And I'm like, that's (laughs) not necessarily the takeaway I'm going for, but (laughs) Um, and, and the other thing is right, because when I say connection affects your health, it's like, well, can I just get married and, you know, have my nuclear family that there's actually three different types of loneliness. So there's intimate loneliness, desire for a close intimate relationship, relational loneliness, desire for someone as close as a friend. And then there's collective loneliness, which is the desire to be part of a group working towards a common goal. So what that research suggests is that, well, there's only one form of loneliness that can really be fulfilled by your spouse. And we need an entire community to really feel whole and to feel connected. 
that alone is so enlightening and explains so much. And I think that's where we get the guilt coming in to play because we think, well, look at, I, I, maybe they have one piece of this puzzle. Like I've, I've got such an incredible best friend. Why am I still lonely? Or I have a, a great partner or I'm part of this amazing organization. So I was curious if we could go a little bit more professional and personally here with how this became an interest of yours specifically and how you came to understand that this loneliness is a problem and it's something that we need, we can take care of and how. Yeah. So for me, I was going through these breakups in my young twenties and feeling so low. So I decided to start this wellness group with my friends where we would meet up and practice wellness, cook, you know, do yoga together, meditate. And it was so healing for me. And it wasn't the wellness. It was just being in community with people I love who loved me every week. And it made me question some of the beliefs that I thought really nourished my pain, which was Mm -hmm. the idea that romantic love is the only love that matters, that I don't have any love in my life if I don't have a romantic partner, right? And And I felt like these beliefs were making it so that I had all this gold around me through friendship and I was seeing it as concrete. I wasn't actually recognizing it. And it just didn't make any sense to me. And it, it it doesn't make sense that in such a lonely, disconnected society, we throw out this form of social connection. We, we treat it like second class. We don't invest in it. So I was motivated to write Platonic because I wanted to be part of leveling this hierarchy that we place on love and, and allowing people to view friendship for the sacredness and the dignity that I had come to associate it with. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what I would like to frame the rest of our conversation around. You talked about those three categories of loneliness, intimate, relational, collective. We want to talk more about the relational kind, like the Mm -hmm. kind we typically think of when we're thinking of friends. Why in particular is this something that matters and why is it particularly hard as adults to make and keep friends? Yeah. So, you know, in the pandemic, I was living with a partner and, uh, still feeling, you know, not the best and just a sense of like, kind of like unease. And I didn't really know what that was about. Right. But then I would be around a friend and I felt like I was like filled with life again. And it was kind of drastic and it was visceral and it was like, oh, all this research I had been reading on the value of social connection. And and now I see it. And I think in some ways, you know, being around one person all the time, even though they're great, can make us feel lonely because it gives us only one experience of ourselves. So each person we're around brings out different sides of us. When I'm around a friend who likes gardening, I might express that side that I might not express with my spouse who hates gardening or, you know, similar yoga, race car, sports, you know, whatever it is, just because your spouse is one person, they can't fulfill all of these different interests in you. And so those aspects of your identity really sort of begin to wither and we feel like a kind of narrowed version of ourselves. And so I think to experience the fullness and the dimensionality of who we are, we need to have an entire community. We need to be around different people. That's surprising to me. But when I think about my real life, I'm like, yes, I've lived this out. I just didn't know that it was a thing. And what I'm hearing you say is that it's the connection to others and a variety of others that helps us form and deepen a connection to ourselves. Mm. Exactly. There's such a synergy between your sense of self and your relationships with others. Such a synergy. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Because we talk a lot about identity here, and that's a piece of the puzzle that hasn't really been brought in. Yeah. So 
you know, my book is based in attachment theory, which basically argues that our personality in some ways is fundamentally a reflection of our experiences of connection or lack thereof, right? Mm -hmm. Whether we are warm, loving, friendly, aggressive, um, distrusting, cynical, right? All of those are predicted by how we've connected in the past. And in some ways, our personality have become coping mechanisms in case we continue to experience the relationships we have in the past, right? So people that are distrusting, they've experienced relationships where they couldn't trust. And that's how they, that's the coping mechanism they tend to carry into their new relationships, right? And so our personalities, some people argue, are fundamentally a reflection of our relationships. But not only that, there's like this sort of reinforcing cycle, right? Where those people that have had good relationships have this positive sense of self, which then allows them to develop more positive relationships because there's this theory called self-verification theory, which basically argues that we engage in relationships that reflect our sense of self. So Mm. you'll see this research that people with low self-esteem prefer interacting with someone that sees them more negatively, not because they don't want to be loved and appreciated, but when they interact with that person that appreciates them or loves them, they feel like they don't trust it. It feels threatening. It feels like this person may be I have to live up to these expectations. There's all this pressure for me to be this person that they see me as, right? And so that is why, you know, our sense of self can really affect the relationships that we choose to engage in. another mirror it's exactly to ourselves I have a lot to think about now (laughs) I have a lot to think (laughs) about what what that's showing me what's what it's reflecting in me and you know that that self-verification theory never heard of that and yet yeah I can see that in myself and other people too that seems like an obstacle to adult friendships for sure especially when we have this not hardwired, but deeply wired way that we view ourselves. And we're seeking to reflect that in the people that we are in connection with what else is getting in the way of us forming supportive friendships as adults. Yeah. So when we're kids, we inhabit a certain setting school, which gives us repeated unplanned interaction. We see people every Mm -hmm. day and shared vulnerability right? Because we have recess, we have gym, we have lunch, right? And those sociologists, Rebecca G. Adams says, are the ingredients necessary for friendship to kind of happen more or less organically. But in as adults, we don't realize we no longer inhabit those settings, right? We don't have, you know, school where we have lunch and recess. We have work and we see people every day at work, but we're not often vulnerable. We're often only showing one side of ourselves, which is why One study actually found that the more time we spend at work together, the less close we feel. Mm. So the problem is that we rely on this this concept of making friends that we developed in childhood when we were in a fundamentally different environment, which is that friendship should just happen. It should happen organically. And according to the research, people that see friendship as happening without effort based on luck are lonelier five years later. Whereas those that see it as happening based on effort are less lonely because they're making that effort. They're putting themselves out there. So those, those, um, the part of the settings that mattered was variability, right? Like that situations vary. So it's not the same every single day and a shared vulnerability were those the two things. 
the repeated unplanned interaction is just you're seeing people regularly and you don't have to coordinate or schedule it logistically. It's just in your schedule, right? Like work or school or, mm-hmm. you know, place of worship for some people. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the the stay-at-home moms who, who listen too, and just how um, I'm sure they feel that deeply too, just how they don't really have as much of an opportunity without having to go through a lot of hoops, but yeah. it is also clear those who, who, who work outside of the home too, like that's, that's also the a struggle. Same. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just a struggle period. It's just a struggle. It's really hard. I'm teaching people to swim upstream, but the river pulls us all downstream towards this connection. It's, it's definitely mm-hmm. a systemic issue. So what can we do to work against that, that push downstream? Yeah. Well, you have to initiate. And in order to initiate, you might be like, I'm so scared they're going to reject me. I like to tell people about research on something called the liking gap, wherein when strangers interact, the research finds that they underestimate how liked they are by the other person. Huh. So people actually like you more than you think. And mm-hmm. I tell people, assume people like you. Mm-hmm. Reason being that when researchers told people that based on your personality profile, you will be liked, that was a lie, but those people became warmer and friendlier and more open. Whereas, you know, people that are, yeah, people that think they'll be rejected, they tend to reject people. They come off as cold and withdrawn according to the research and then people reject them back, but they don't actually realize that they're in some ways pulling for this rejection in terms of like how, how you show up in the world when you feel like you're going to be rejected. That is blowing my mind. (laughs) that alone. So we initiate, but the way we initiate matters. Yeah. You want to assume people like you, and then you just, you're able to say something like, Hey, you know, it was so nice to get to know you. I'd love to connect further. Would you be open Mm -hmm. to exchanging contact information? Um, It's as easy as that. And I also think, you know, you can initiate through reconnecting with someone that you lost touch with. We often assume like, they don't want to hear from me. They're too busy. Right. But the research actually finds, and you'll find, you'll hear this from me across the board that our predictions are inaccurate and they're cynical. Mm -hmm. Actually from the research, people report liking, appreciating hearing from people when they reconnect with them more than we tend to assume. And that's again, I think another obstacle because we think it's only has to be new people or something in our head that we're like, we can't do that because that friendship faded away and it's my fault. I, I wasn't good at keeping, you know, I wasn't responsive to the text as much. I was going through a hard time. And so I can't do that, but no, that that's a way reconnection. Yeah. Reconnection. Okay. Low hanging so, fruit. <laughs> so we've got initiate. What else can they do? Yeah. So when we, I tend to tell people to be strategic about connecting through joining something repeated over time. So it's like, instead of joining a, going to a lecture, go to a class, instead of going to that happy hour, go to the professional development event. The reason being there's this phenomenon called the mere exposure effect, which is basically the idea that we like people more when we're exposed to them more. So Hmm. these researchers had, had basically planted women into a psychology lecture. None of the students remembered these women. But at the end of the lecture, they like the woman who showed up to the most classes, 20% more than the woman that showed up the least, right? Hmm. So it's completely unconscious. And this research also suggests that when we first join that group to, to connect with other people, right? At first, it's going to be uncomfortable. We're not going to trust them, right? And that's because mere exposure effect has not set in, right? But once we're there for, you know, 
commit to going for like two months at least, right? Then your exposure effect starts to set in. You're going to like them more. They're going to like you more. Like that experience of awkwardness or discomfort, it's not a sign to eject from the connection. It's a sign that you're on the trajectory toward connection. Hmm. What kinds of things do you see people doing that match that? Like, I, I'm trying to look for some ideas or suggestions yeah. for women who are listening. After the break, you'll hear Marissa give some answers to that question I just asked her. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What kinds of things do you see people doing that match that? Like I, I'm trying to look for some ideas or suggestions yeah. for women who are listening. Hiking club, improv club, wellness group, meditation retreat, monthly summer club, monthly like dinner club. I started a dinner club, like asking one friend, like, would you want to like try different restaurants every month we meet up, we could each invite one friend. Right. And then you already have that group and you're going to the, in the calendar PTA meetings, you know, like even going to your kids' soccer games and seeing the same people over time. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like anything on meetup.com. There's like a ton of groups on meetup.com. I've never even heard of that. Yeah. And I like that it it can involve lots of people, like a basic community or just a few people. Exactly. Yeah. Like a book club too. It's a great one. Yeah. And you can do it yourself. And you can do it yourself. You can start that own group. If there's people in your life where you're like, I know I have these people in my orbit that I like, but I'm not sure how to get close to them. Right asking them if they want to join this repeated group. And I I think it seems intimidating, but you just have to ask one person. And if that one person is in, then it's like, let's each ask one other person. And then we, we already have our group four people. And I think it's also just starts with, um, having this kernel of an interest Mm -hmm. that you want to maybe lean into and identifying even one person who has that shared interest, even, I mean, I'm like thinking, Dixie chicks. I don't know why that's going to be divine, <laughs> but something like that where you're like, we can connect on that one thing. Let's, let's go to a concert or let's, let's just come and listen to Dixie chicks together. I don't know. I'm going off yeah. on, a, on a thing there, but that to me gives me a path. It is. And I think that shared interest is so important because the, the number one reason friendships end is because we haven't put in the effort. They kind of fizzle mm-hmm. out, right? Mm-hmm. Not because there's any animosity. So when we have that shared anchor, something that we both know we're interested in, it's also a prime. It tells me, oh, now I have something to reach out to this person about, right? And so it allows us to get over our our tendency to kind of just get busy and kind of forget and 
we lose friendships because of that. But when I know I have a friend who loves horror movies, just like I do, I know when I watch a good horror movie, I have, I can text her, right. And I can reconnect with her. And so having that anchor also gives us a way to maintain the relationship. You are probably living your best life right now, Marissa, with the, <laughs> the, the horror movies coming out. So you're right. You're right. <laughs> Sometimes it's too much. I'm like, I'm starting to have nightmares. So I probably need to chill a little. <laughs> yeah. My sister-in-law is like this. And I like, meanwhile, can't even watch an old movie from childhood that scares me too much. So <laughs> love that. Going to validate that in you. This is great. So we've got initiate, we've got join a repetitive community activity or create one. Uh, what else can they do? So here's the thing when it comes to, um, you know, being the type of person people want to be friends with, right? I used to think it was about being funny, entertaining, charismatic, smart, And what I realized from the research, there's this theory called the theory of inferred attraction, Mm -hmm. which is basically the idea that people like people that they think like them. So if you want to be good at connecting with people, the question is not who you are. The question is about how do you treat other people? Do you Mm -hmm. make them feel welcome? Do you make them feel like they belong? You know, it takes greeting someone when they enter the room, smiling at them, following up with the thing they said and be like, oh, I know you had your, you know, test today. I just wanted to check in on how it was going, right? Initiating interactions with them. Those are all ways to say, like, I like you and I value when you're hanging out with them. Oh, I really like this thing that you said. Like, I I kept thinking about that. I really appreciate you sharing or, you know, sharing what you like about people. I, I love your energy or, you know, whatever it is about them. I love your kindness, right? There was a study that looked at budding friendship pairs for 12 weeks who ended up becoming friends out of these pairs. And it was the ones that shared highest degree of affirmation and affection towards each other. Um, the reason is there's this theory called risk regulation theory. And the theory basically states that we decide how much to invest in a relationship based on our view of how likely we are to get rejected. So those people that tell us, I like you, I'm being affectionate towards you, they tell us we won't be rejected. So they make us feel safe to then invest in that relationship. This is why I love talking to you. I mean, you have like all these theories to back it up. I'm learning so much, but again, I keep coming back to my lived experience and I can see this is the one where I'm like, oops, (laughs) this used to be something I was really good at, like extending myself, being warm, affirming. And as I've gotten older, I don't know if this is the same for you, Marissa, but I'm more and more and more introverted. Mm. I just, I need quiet. I need aloneness. But at the same time, there's something missing, right? And and yeah. I can see that just might be the gap right there is just making that first step of, of, of just reflecting what I hope they can inspire back towards me, just these feelings of affection and affirmation. Can you give us a little hope for the fellow introverts who are listening yeah. and just thinking, have I lost it? Can I, can no, I do this? Oh, you haven't. Um, I'm an introvert. So yes, Love you hearing totally that. connect with people. I do not see th- there being a hierarchy of who's better at connecting extroverts or introverts. I see Love each group, that. each group has a certain set of skills. Mm-hmm. You're an introvert. You're good at deep conversation. You're good at intimacy. You're good at getting other people to open up and listening to them. Right? Like all of these things, extroverts, you're good at bringing the energy. You're good at bringing the groups together. You know, you're good at being that 
you know, big party person. You're good at, you know, reaching out to a bunch of people because you have a high need to be around people, right? And so each group brings their strengths and it's about just leaning into your strengths as an introvert. Like what mm-hmm. sort of connection does make me feel restored, even though connection mm-hmm. tends to drain me more. Maybe that's hanging out one-on-one. Maybe that's doing the book club instead of, you know, the soccer group when it comes to my repeated unplanned interaction, right? So yeah, I think the more that we can understand what our strengths are based on where our energies lie, the more that we can succeed when it comes to friendship on behalf of them. And knowing that about ourselves, weirdly, we keep coming back to identity, which my listeners are going to laugh about because I always find that somewhere. I just find that. But if you know that about yourself, then that can help direct how you initiate what kind of repeated activity you're going to be drawn to or to create for yourself, as well as how to connect with people. I think it's also important. So when we predict how much we will enjoy social interaction, we tend to underestimate how much we'll enjoy it, right? And that fundamentally, yep, we have this bias. So it makes us less likely to engage when afterward we're like, oh, you know, that was actually pretty nice. And I did enjoy that. So it's also about when you are trying to figure out what sort of interaction is restorative for me, think about how you feel after the interaction rather than before. I like to tell me, I'll probably enjoy this more than I think. Let me go into this optimistic. Let me go into this remembering what I'm excited about. Because like being in a good mood is actually a really great resource for connection. When people are in a bad mood, they tend to dislike people more that they interact with. Um, So I think that's also really important when we're connecting, like not using introversion to say, I don't like any forms of connection, but instead Mm -hmm. there are certain forms of connection that I prefer. And when I experience different types of connection, let me be mindful and see how I feel after. So I know what forms of connection to sort of move towards. And with that, I'm, I'm pulling out, expect to enjoy yourself, you know, expect it to be okay. At least at very least that you're going to be okay. Optimism. Optimism is, you know, when I say assume people like you, it's just another form of that. Like just going in optimistic, thinking that it's going to go well. You'll find things to talk about. You'll, you'll, you'll find a common interest. You'll, you'll meet new people, all that. That's, that's great. Just be vulnerable. Because we tend to think we will burden people with our vulnerability, but the, the research, you know, it finds that the more you intimately self-disclose, the more liked you are by other people. And that we have, this is the last bias I'll, I'll indicate the beautiful mess effect, which is this finding that when we're vulnerable, we think we are being judged more than we actually are. Mm -hmm. So then there's also studies on like the 36 questions. If anyone read the New York times article, 36 questions to fall in love, this researcher basically gave people these like deep questions um, to go through with other people. And he found that at the end of the interaction, many of them felt closer to that person that they had went through these deep questions with than anyone in their lives. So vulnerability is like super important for us to not just create new connections, but to like actually feel like we're being rewarded by the connections that we have. It sounds like that can be a great resource to just pull up and Pull up the 36 questions. Yeah. You said that was the New York Times? It's in the New York Times. It's it's from an article by a researcher named Arthur Aaron. Okay, cool. I'm writing that down and we'll make sure we link that in the show notes and I'm going to go look it up right after this. Even it could be like, if we're going back to the, um, the intimate connection, like that could be a good date night thing too. (laughs) Totally. It can be. Ask questions. (laughs) So if there's one small way women can begin who are listening, what would you suggest? 
I want you to scroll through your phone contacts, find someone that you wish you wouldn't have fallen out of touch with, text them and say, hey, I was just thinking about you and wanted to check in and see how you're doing. And if they seem to be reciprocating, take the leap and invite them to hang out. Beautiful. I'm going to take you up on this. Yay. All right, Marissa, you've written a book. Can you talk about that and also where people can find you? Yeah. So my book, New York Times bestselling book is called Platonic, How the Science Amazing. of Attachment. Thank you. Congrats on that. That's so huge. <laughs> I know. It's so cool. <laughs> um, Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends. I also share tips on my Instagram, which is at Dr. Marissa G. Franco. That's D-R-M-A-R-I-S-A-G. F-R-A-N-C-O. And then on my website, drmarissagfranco.com, I have a quiz you can take that assesses your strengths and weaknesses as a friend and also gives you suggestions on how to improve, or you can reach out for speaking on connection, belonging within and outside of work. And the last thing I'll say is my niece read my book and she said what she got from it was for friendship to happen, someone has to be brave. So be brave. I love your niece. I know she's good, right? (laughs) That needs to be a sign in each of our home and yes. and the general, I, I would say the foundation to everything that you taught us today is, is that undercurrent of be brave, be brave. Exactly. It takes one person to, to extend themselves and be brave that way. And you've inspired that in me so much today. Yay. Marissa, so thank you. This was such a, well, it was such a beautiful conversation and absolutely what I needed. And I know our community needed it too. I'm really appreciative of all your work and your writing and that you're willing to share with us. It's been an honor to connect with you. Likewise, you have such like a calm, warm energy. So it's been my pleasure as well. Thanks. I hope this episode gave you the hug and kick in the pants you need to grow. I'll now share the progress pointers from this episode. And these are the notes I took so you don't have to. And those on my go-getter newsletter get this in a graphic form each Wednesday. Number one, our levels of overall connection are the most important indicator of health as we age. There are three types of loneliness, intimate, relational, and collective And we need to meet all three of these areas to feel truly connected. Two, each friend we are around helps us express different sides of ourselves. We need a variety of friends to experience what it is to be our full rounded selves and be connected to that self. Three, it can be difficult to form organic friendships because we don't typically have the right ingredients. Repeated unplanned interaction coupled with vulnerability. We simply have to be willing to put in more effort. And four, to do so, initiate, even with old connections. Assume people like you. Be strategic about joining something that repeats over time. Focus on connecting with shared interests in mind. Affirm and show affection you hope to gain back in return. Be vulnerable and be brave. Your do something challenge for this week is to reach out to one person you wish you hadn't lost contact with. I already know who I'm going to reach out to. So I hope you do that. If you do, tell me about it. You can DM me, email me, uh, write it in a comment on a social post. 
no matter what, I'd love to hear from you. And those who you know follow through or reach out to me, I love to highlight you in a, a dear progressor or not a dear progressor, a progressor highlight in our uh, twice monthly growth spurt episodes. Before you go today, I want to remind you this month is our six year anniversary and I am giving away six packages filled with six of my favorite things to those who just leave a rating and a review. You're automatically submitted if you do that on Apple Podcasts. You can even update an old review to qualify. But if you're on another app, take a screenshot of your rating and review and email it to me at hello at aboutprogress.com in order to be submitted. I'm so honored to have spent this time with you. Thank you for listening. Now go and do something with what you learned today. Be vulnerable and be bleh. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.